Chapter Seven of the Wolf Leader by Alexander Dumas, translated by Alfred Allenson, eighteen fifty-two to nineteen twenty-nine. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter Seven: The Boy at the Mill. Finding it impossible either to cut off or pull out the accursed hair, the only thing left for Thibault to do was to hide it as well as he could by bringing the other hair over it. Everybody would not, he hoped, have such eyes as Agnelletta. As we have already said, Thibault had a fine head of black hair, and by parting it down the side and giving a certain turn to the front lock, he trusted that the one hair would pass unobserved. He recalled with envy the young lords whom he had seen at the court of Madame de Maintenon, for, with their powdered wigs to cover it, the color of their hair, whatever it might be, was of no moment. He unfortunately could not make use of powder to hide his, being prohibited from doing so by the sumptuary laws of the period. However, having successfully managed by an adroit turn of the comb to hide his one red hair artistically under the others, Thibault decided to start again on his premeditated visit to the fair owner of the mill. He was careful this time, instead of inclining to the left, to verge towards the right, fearing to meet Agnelletta if he followed the same path as he had taken that morning. Emerging, therefore, on to the road leading to La Fertemilot, he then took the footpath which runs direct to Pisselot across the fields. Arriving at Pisselot, he continued along the valley in the direction of Croyola, but had scarcely pursued this lower road for more than a few minutes when, walking just ahead of him, he saw two donkeys being driven by a tall youth, whom he recognized as a cousin of his, named Landry. Cousin Landry was head boy at the mill, in the service of the owner whom Thibault was on his way to visit, and as the latter had but an indirect acquaintance with the widow Paulet, he had counted on Landry to introduce him. It was a lucky chance, therefore, to come across his cousin like this, and Thibault hastened to overtake him. Hearing footsteps behind him echoing his own, Landry turned and recognized Thibault. Thibault had always found Landry a pleasant and cheerful companion and he was therefore very much astonished to see him looking sad and troubled. Landry waited for Thibault to come up to him, letting his donkeys go on alone. Thibault was the first to speak. "'Why, Cousin Landry,' he asked, "'what's the meaning of this? Here am I, putting myself out and leaving my work to come and shake hands with a friend and relation that I have not seen for more than six weeks, and you greet me with a face like that.' "'Ah, my dear Thibault,' replied Landry, what would you have of me? I may greet you with a gloomy face, but believe me or not, as you will, I am truly delighted to see you. That may be as you say, but you do not appear so. What do you mean? You tell me you are delighted to see me in a tone of voice fit to bring on the blue devils. Why, my dear Landry, you are generally as bright and lively as the click-clack of your mill, and singing songs to accompany it. And today you are as melancholy as the crosses in the cemetery. How now, then, has the mill stopped for want of water? Oh, not that. There is no want of water. On the contrary, there is more than usual, and the sluice is kept constantly at work. But you see, instead of corn, it is my heart that is in the mill, and the mill works so well and so incessantly, and my heart is so ground between the stones that there is nothing left of it but a little powder. Indeed? Are you so miserable, then, at the mill? Ah, would to God I had been dragged under the wheel the first day I put my foot inside. But what is it? You frighten me, Landry. Tell me all your troubles, my dear lad. 
Landry gave a deep sigh. We are cousins, continued Thibault, and if I am too poor to give you a few crowns to help you out of any money trouble you are in, well, I can at least give you some words of good advice if it is a matter of the heart that is causing you grief. Thank you, Thibault, but neither money nor advice can do me any good. Well, anyhow, tell me what is the matter. It eases trouble to speak of it. No, no, it would be useless. I will say nothing. Thibault began to laugh. You laugh? said Landry, both angry and astonished. My trouble makes you laugh? I am not laughing at your trouble, Landry, but at your thinking that you can hide the cause of it from me, when it is as easy as anything to guess what it is. Guess, then. Why, you are in love. Nothing more difficult than that to guess, I can swear. I in love? exclaimed Landry. Why, who has been telling you lies like that? It is not a lie, it is the truth. Landry again drew a deep sigh, more laden with despair even than his former one. Well, yes, he said, it is so. I am in love. Ha! That's right, you have spoken out at last, said Thibault, not without a certain quickening of the pulse, for he foresaw a rival in his cousin. And with whom are you in love? With whom? Yes, I ask you, with whom? As to that, cousin Thibault, you will have to drag the heart out of my breast before I tell you. You have told me already. What? I have told you who it is? cried Landry, staring at Thibault with astonished eyes. Certainly you have. Surely you cannot mean it. Did you not say that it would have been better for you to have been dragged under by the mill-wheel the first day you entered into the service of Madame Pelet, than to have been taken on by her as chief hand? You are unhappy at the mill, and you are in love. Therefore you are in love with the mistress of the mill, and it is this love which is causing your unhappiness. Ah, Thibault, pray hush! What if she would overhear us? How is it possible that she can overhear us? Where do you imagine her to be unless she is able to make herself invisible or to change herself into a butterfly or a flower? Never mind, Thibault, you keep quiet. Your mistress of the mill is hard-hearted, then, is she, and takes no pity on your despair, poor fellow, was Thibault's rejoinder, but his words, though seemingly expressive of great commiseration, had a shade of satisfaction and amusement in them. Hard-hearted! I should think so indeed, said Landry. In the beginning I was foolish enough to fancy that she did not repulse my love. All day long I was devouring her with my eyes, and now and then she too would fix her eyes on me, and after looking at me a while would smile. Alas, my dear Thibault, what happiness those looks and smiles were to me! Ah, why did I not content myself with them? Well, there it is, said Thibault, philosophically. Man is so insatiable. Alas, yes, I forgot that I had to do with someone above me in position, and I spoke... Then Madame Paulet flew into a great rage, called me an insolent beggar, and threatened to turn me out of doors the very next week. Phew, said Thibault, and how long ago is that? Nearly three weeks. And the following week is still to come? The shoemaker, as he put the question, began to feel a revival of the uneasiness which had been momentarily allayed, for he understood women better than his cousin Landry. After a minute's silence, he continued. Well, well, you are not so unhappy after all as I thought you. 
not so unhappy as you thought me no ah if you only knew the life i lead never a look or a smile when she meets me she turns away when i speak to her on matters concerning the mill she listens with such a disdainful air that instead of talking of bran and wheat and rye of barley and oats of first and second crops i begin to cry and then she says to me take care in such a menacing tone that i run away and hide myself behind the bolters well but why do you pay your addresses to this mistress of yours there are plenty of girls in the country round who would be glad to have you for their wooer because i love her in spite of myself i cannot help it so there take up with someone else i'd think no more about her i could not do it at any rate you might try it's just possible that if she saw you transferring your affections to another the mistress of the mill might grow jealous and might then run after you as you are now running after her women are such curious creatures oh if i was sure of that i would begin to try at once although now and landry shook his head well what about now although now after all that has happened it would be of no use what has happened then asked thibault who was anxious to ascertain all particulars oh as to that nothing replied landry and i do not even dare speak of it why because as they say with us best let sleeping dogs lie thibault would have continued to urge landry to tell him what the trouble was to which he referred but they were now near the mill and their explanation would have to remain unfinished even if once begun what was more thibault thought that he already knew enough landry was in love with the fair owner of the mill but the fair owner of the mill was not in love with Landry, and in truth he feared no danger from a rival such as this. It was with a certain pride and self-complacency that he compared the timid, boyish looks of his cousin, a mere lad of eighteen, with his own five feet six and well-set figure, and he was naturally led into thinking that however little of a woman of taste Madame Paulet might be, Landry's failure was a good reason for believing that his own success was assured. The mill at Croyola is charmingly situated at the bottom of a cool green valley. The stream that works it forms a little pond which is shaded by pollard willows and slender poplars, and between these dwarfed and giant trees stand magnificent alders and immense walnut trees with their fragrant foliage. After turning the wheel of the mill, the foaming water runs off in a little rivulet which never ceases its hymn of joy as it goes leaping over the pebbles of its bed starring the flowers that lean coquettishly over to look at themselves in its clear shallows with the liquid diamonds that are scattered by its tiny waterfalls the mill itself lies so hidden in a bower of shrubs behind the sycamores and weeping willows that until one is within a short distance of it nothing is to be seen but the chimney from which the smoke rises against the background of trees like a column of blue tinted alabaster although thibault was familiar with the spot the sight of it filled him as he now looked upon it with a feeling of delight which he had not hitherto experienced but then he had never before gazed on it under the conditions in which he now found himself for he was already conscious of that sense of personal satisfaction which the proprietor feels on visiting an estate which has been obtained for him by proxy on entering the farmyard where the scene was more animated he was moved to even greater ecstasy of enjoyment the blue and purple-throated pigeons were cooing on the roofs, the ducks quacking, and going through sundry evolutions in the stream. 
the hens were clucking on the dung heap and the turkey cocks bridling and strutting as they courted the turkey hens while the brown and white cows came slowly in from the fields their udders full of milk here on one side a cart was being unloaded there as they were being unharnessed two splendid horses neighed and stretched their necks now freed from the collar toward their mangers a boy was carrying a sack up into the granary and a girl was bringing another sack filled with crusts and the refuse water to an enormous pig that lay basking in the sun waiting to be transformed into salt pork sausages and black puddings all the animals of the ark were there from the braying donkey to the crowing cock mingling their discordant voices in this rural concert while the mill with its regular click-clack seemed to be beating time thibault felt quite dazzled he saw himself the owner of all that he now looked upon and he rubbed his hands together with such evident pleasure that landry if he had not been so absorbed in his own trouble which grew ever greater as they drew nearer to the house would certainly have noticed this apparently causeless emotion of joy on his cousin's part as they entered the farmyard the widow who was in the dining-room became aware of their presence and seemed very inquisitive to know who the stranger was who had returned with her head boy thibault with an easy and confident sort of manner went up to the dwelling-house gave his name and explained to her that having a great wish to see his cousin landry he had decided to come over and introduce himself to her the mistress of the mill was extremely gracious and invited the newcomer to spend the day at the mill accompanying her invitation with a smile that thibault took as a most favorable augury thibault had not come unprovided with a present he had unhooked some thrushes which he had found caught in a snare set with rowan berries as he came through the forest and the widow sent them at once to be plucked saying as she did so that she hoped thibault would stay to eat his share of them but he could not help noticing that all the while she was speaking to him she kept on looking over his shoulder at something which seemed to attract her attention and turning quickly he saw that the preoccupation of the fair owner of the mill had evidently been caused by watching landry who was unloading his asses becoming conscious that thibault had noticed the wandering of her looks and attention madame Paulet turned as red as a cherry but immediately recovering herself she said to her new acquaintance monsieur thibault it would be kind of you who appear so robust to go and help your cousin you can see that the job is too heavy a one for him alone and so saying she went back into the house now the devil muttered thibault as he looked first after madame Paulet and then at landry is the fellow after all more fortunate than he suspects himself and shall i be forced to call the black wolf to my assistance to get rid of him however he went as the owner of the mill had asked him and gave the required assistance feeling quite sure that the pretty widow was looking at him through some chink or other of the curtain he put forth all his strength and displayed to the fool his athletic grace in the accomplishment of the task in which he was sharing the unloading finished they all assembled in the dining-room where a waiting-maid was busy setting the table as soon as dinner was served madame Paulet took her place at the head of the table with thibault to her right she was all attention and politeness to the latter so much so indeed that thibault who had been temporarily crestfallen took heart again filled with hope in order to do honor to thibault's presence she had herself dressed the birds with juniper berries and so prepared no more delicate or appetizing dish could well have been provided while laughing at thibault's sallies however she cast stealthy glances now and again at landry who she saw had not touched what she herself had placed on the poor boy's plate 
and also that great tears were rolling down his cheeks and falling into the untasted juniper sauce this mute sorrow touched her heart a look almost of tenderness came into her face as she made a sign to him with her head which seemed to say so expressive was it eat landry i beg of you there was a whole world of loving promises in this little pantomime landry understood the gesture for he nearly choked himself trying to swallow the bird at one mouthful so eager was he to obey the orders of his fair mistress nothing of all this escaped thibault's eye he swore to himself using an oath that he had heard in the mouth of the seigneur jean and which now that he was the friend of the devil he fancied he might use like any other great lord can it be possible he thought that she is really in love with this slip of a youth well if so it does not say much for her taste and more than that it does not suit my plans at all no no my fair mistress what you need is a man who will know how to look well after the affairs of the mill and that man will be myself or the black wolf will find himself in the wrong box noticing a minute later that madame paulet had finally gone back to the earlier stage of sidelong glances and smiles which landry had described to him he continued i see i shall have to resort to stronger measures for lose her i will not there is not another match in all the countryside that would suit me equally well but then what am i to do with cousin landry his love it is true upsets my arrangements but i really cannot for so small a thing send him to join the wretched marcotta in the other world but what a fool i am to bother my brains about finding a way to help myself it's the wolf's business not mine then in a low voice black wolf he said arrange matters in such a way that without any accident or harm happening to my cousin landry i may get rid of him the prayer was scarcely uttered when he caught sight of a small body of four or five men in military uniform walking down the hillside and coming towards the mill landry also saw them for he uttered a loud cry got up as if to run away and then fell back in his chair as if all power of movement had forsaken him End of chapter 7 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia